listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today is a book club day. We get to talk about a really fun YA novel courtesy of Brie because the last time that we did this, it was Ladies' Choice, which was really fun. So we get to wrap this up, talk about some of the things we talked about in the book club group on Facebook, and then there's a fun new way that we're doing our next book at the end of this, but you're just going to have to wait around and listen to the rest of this before we get to our next book. So Rachel, take it away. Okay. Well, as you already mentioned, this book club pick comes to us courtesy of Brienne, who won the popularity contest, probably still owes some people some money for that. That is not surprising (laughs) at all. I am broke. (laughs) I wrote so many checks. (laughs) They probably all bounced. Sorry. We'll, we'll get into the book in a moment, but Brie, was it worth it? I mean, obviously you you put this book out here and reread it for the first time in a number of years. Do you, all, all those checks, money well spent? I, I think so. I really do. I'll get into my thoughts later if you want to kick it off with some different information. But yeah, I think reading it 10 plus years after the last time I read it, there were some things that were more eye-opening than I had noticed in the past. So I'm glad that we... second. When did you read it the first time? I actually read it... The first time I read it was in sixth grade, which was not 10 years ago. Right. Okay. (laughs) And then I read it in college for a child... It was like an adolescent literature class. Okay. So the third time you read it like once a decade is what it's exactly. Yeah. Let's (laughs) mark your calendar. (laughs) See you in 2030, everyone. (laughs) Ellen Raskin. I'll see you in 2030. (laughs) So this dearly bought book, and I, I guess we should go back for those who are new to this conversation. Our book club book for the month of January was The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. Written, I believe, in 1978, and it won the Newbery Medal in 1979 very patriotic book, which came up several times in our conversations, which isn't surprising because in the late 1970s, everyone was still high on that 1976 bicentennial. So the, the patriotic themes that today, you know, seem a little quaint would have been very au courant at that time. And this book is a murder mystery, sort of, as my sixth grader pointed out in her book review of the book this last month, because we re- she read it right before I did, she said, there is actually zero murder in this book. <laughs> and you go back through and you're like, yeah, you're right. It's a murder mystery with zero murder, which I suppose is appropriate given that it's written for, you know, middle schoolers. <laughs> but it was a great mystery. A lot of people really enjoyed the twist at the end. I won't spoil it here. We might... Fair warning, accidentally spoil it later in the episode, but you've had two months to read this book, so that's on you. You've actually had, what, almost 50 years to read it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So what are you waiting for, the blue fairy? But I it's mean, a, it's a it's short a- enough book. You could totally just like pause this podcast and go like read it in two right. hours and come back. So Do that. Do that and then come back. We won't intentionally spoil it, but these things happen when you're talking about books. There's a huge and diverse cast of characters. We'll probably end up talking about that a little bit later on. Uh, But even so, it's a short, fast-paced read. Just a a fun midwinter kind of, I would say a bit of fluff, except 
it's not really, there's a lot of substance to it. I, when Brie first suggested the book, I thought to myself, really? Are we going to find enough to talk about in that? I remember <laughs> reading it and I don't remember there being a whole lot there. I mean, it was fun, but book club fun. No, I was wrong. No, there was just so much to talk about. And in fact, this morning, we ended our book club discussion online two days ago. And this morning, I came up with another question I wanted to ask everybody, but uh, no, too late. It was all done. <laughs> oh, well, you could sigh. totally just like pop quiz us on the podcast and see. Okay, we might see that at the end, but I think we'll have plenty to talk about even without, you know, padding the episode with extra questions. So we've heard from Brie, Sarah and Aaron, if this was your first time through, second time, third time, 10th time, what did you guys think of the book? I thought it was super fun. I've always loved mysteries, especially YA mysteries, a big Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys kind of fan. This was not Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys mystery <laughs> at all. I really enjoyed reading it. I think this was the first book that I've actually purchased in years, which was kind of fun to have a book show up at my house. It's not that hasn't been a thing for me in a long time. Oh girl. And I know. Well I like, audiobook all the time. Oh, so right, I don't you do. I don't like read hard actual like paper books anymore i just i'm gonna but just jump in we're here i did the audiobook this time oh, and that was actually a bad choice oh really I think reading the print there is a difference hmm. between reading the print and listening and here's why is because oh, yeah. there's so many play on words mm -hmm, and right. you know things different words being laid out based upon clues and stuff like that which it was interesting to be able to hear a lot of those words being played out, but it was it. There were also some points where it was just really confusing because there and, was no. Yeah, that makes sense. The author does a lot with typography in this book. That yes. you'll have bits of letters mm -hmm. and clues and things that are sort of spelled out in different fonts and sizes. So it it does add a layer of of complexity. And then there's also just so many different voices. Mm -hmm. and inner monologues, I think it would be very hard for a narrator to keep them all straight if they even attempted to do all the voices, more likely they would all the voices would sort of run together. Yeah, because they'd have yeah. to. Well, and that that is part of what I was going to say is that I, uh, since I was a kid, I have a hard time following books that have a lot of characters. I, my brain just has a hard time keeping them straight to this day. Audiobooks help with that generally. I have a better time processing character names and, and personalities when I listen. So that was an interesting thing in this book, having to remember who all the characters are and their roles and what they do. And I had to like flip back and forth a few times to make sure I knew who they were talking about. So that was actually still challenging for me as an adult to, to keep everything straight. And I think I still need to go back and read it again so that I actually understand everything that was happening. But I really enjoyed it. It was it was fun. The characters are quirky. Uh, I was definitely pulling for one of them in particular. <laughs> but I mean, I I'm going to read it again before I ship it off to my to my uh, sister-in-law for all of my nieces and nephews. <laughs> Aaron? Okay. <laughs> Hold on. This is a time for a true confession. <gasps> oh, boy. I am only halfway through this book. Uh -oh. I love it. I, <laughs> I love it. I... I really dislike 
reading more than one book at a time. And I don't like stopping a book to start another one. I'm like, no, I'm not through with it. And so I just did really poor planning. And I forget <laughs> that reading, I was going to read it on my Kindle. I did. I thought I, I looked at the audio and I considered it and I decided that, no, it's a pretty short book because reading on Kindle is always a lot slower for me than reading as an audio book. But I did not reckon with how long the previous Kindle book would take for me to finish it before I could start this one. And I did not leave myself enough time. And so I am not yet finished. I feel like I am back in 11th grade in Mrs. Hughes English class and I was supposed to it was book report day and we were in the part where we're like we had to submit your report ahead of time but then during the day you had to write this essay and one of the questions you had to address was when you finished the book and I was like I will be finishing this book in two days <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't finished with it yet, but I still answered it. And of course, I still, I'm sure she appreciated my honesty, but she also still docked me for not having finished the book in time. See, everyone, celebrities are just like us. So, May I just tell you that this conversation then will be excellent preparation for your future English major, because I guarantee you. <laughs> Like 90% of the English majors in any literature class are bluffing their way through the discussion. I can't tell you how many books I had to finish on Christmas break because I didn't have time. <laughs> so, ladies, you are safe from any spoilers from Miss Erin. She will not accidentally spoil the book. How are you enjoying it so far? I am enjoying it, and I'm intrigued because I will say that at the halfway point of the book, I don't find there to be a strong patriotic streak yet. And so mm. that must be coming in in the latter half of the book. Yeah. And so I'm I'm interested to hear, hear that that was something that really was noticeable because it has not started unless he's going to trace unless she's going to trace the threads back, which maybe that'll come. It hasn't shown up halfway in. So mm. we'll see. All right. <laughs> well, sounds like we all enjoyed or are currently enjoying this book. <laughs> Shall we dig into the questions? As is our sort of habit and tradition for these episodes, we will each, uh, I'll open the floor to each of you to pick one. I asked seven questions this time around, and that's, that's sort of becoming average. Uh, one a day to a couple of days. Seven questions to discuss with the book, and we won't get to all of them, but I would like each of you to pick one. And we'll chat about it for a little bit and see see where we fall. I will go ahead and start because I, I'm I'm guessing we can just go in numerical order here because I oh, so sure. I picked question number one. So this is now the second time we've chosen a children's book, quote unquote, for our book club read. In part, this is because let's be honest. Books for young readers are generally less likely to contain profanity, violence existential despair and other unsavory elements <laughs> are, however it is also in recognition that many so-called quote-unquote children's books turn out to be unexpectedly sophisticated in their themes characters and plots 
How did this book jive or not jive with your understanding of what a children's novel should be? Did you read it differently as an adult than you might have done as a child or a teen? Are there things you noticed in it that a younger reader might not have picked up on? So as I had stated earlier, I, this is the third time that I've read this book. The first time that I read it was in sixth grade in Diana Berglund's English class. She might be a listener. I don't know. But if she is, this is the one book I remember reading in middle school pretty much, except for all the other books where like the dogs die at the end. Oh, um, that yeah. is an entire sub subgenre. But even the, <laughs> is it really? Men, That's like, I can't. I can't put those any. I can't put those. But where the red fern grows, uh, old yell. I can't put those in the timeline Sounder. of my of my English classes. But this book, for some reason, just it stuck with me, and I don't really know why, but it just did. And I ended up reading this again in undergrad for a children's and adolescent literature class. I think this was back when I was still planning to be an English teacher. And so this was just one of the books that was in the curriculum that we were going to read along with some other books, which was also fun. However, it wasn't until this third go around that, you know, at all of 34 years old, that I noticed the darkest themes of the book. Some obviously were very apparent. We dealt with themes of like emotional manipulation, suicide, dishonesty, broken relationships, destructive secrets. I mean, there were there were actually blatant accounts of those things in the book. I mean, I, I feel like a key piece of the book is that it's based upon like deception and emotional manipulation and things that I would not have necessarily picked up on as a sixth grader like oh Sam Westing is kind of a cool weird sly dude that's cool I guess but then like nowadays which obviously there are things that I've picked up on that have been influenced by my own experiences you you think of things like the dysfunction of the who family i mean you've got you've got james and you've got son lynn who there's an there's an age disparity there he and his wife are probably what like 20 years apart maybe mm -hmm. her stepson doug is 10 years younger than she, only 10 years younger than she is mm -hmm. part of me wonders sort of like what that family life is actually like behind closed doors like what are what are the dysfunctions that might be plaguing that family based upon where they are at almost demographically i guess like where where they are in their stations of life yeah it, that's that's a great point i mean you've got mrs who who doesn't speak a word of english at the beginning of the book and just wants to go home to china and at one point isn't there a line in there where it says that Rumor had it that he had married her for her family's sauce recipe. Yeah, it, it yeah. totally yep. reads that is like dysfunctional. Marriage. <laughs> yeah, it's like totally an arranged marriage deal, and like you don't really know if there was even like love there because what was he doing? You think about Bertha Crow, who oh. I'm not going to spoil it, but 
She had to become a whole different person to be where she's at now. So, like, what does that transformation look like? If you, if you're one person prior to the book and you've made this transformation to this almost completely different individual, super pious, super serving, like, what steps did, what steps took you to, didn't, you know, didn't she fall in a bottle of booze and then sort of gradually crawl back out and decide to help other people? Am I I forgetting that? I think she's a recovering alcoholic. She is. She is. Again, this is a children's book. Right. 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 I also like read into like JJ Ford. What's her life like as a woman of color being a judge back in, in this day and age in Milwaukee? Like what sort of struggles might she have had? I'm sure there's a lot of baggage there given her connection to Sam Westing. Not only experientially, but also she is she's indebted to him for the things that he did for her as a younger individual, as a college student. How did Angela and Turtle feel when they found out their dad was a bookie? Like, that's not... <laughs> they just, like, totally gloss over that. Right. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Being on the other, like being an adult now and sort of having experienced some of these things like parental secrets and things that you don't learn until your 30s, whether they're trying to protect you or not, like that's huge. And they just like they glossed over that. The one thing that I think I had really reacted to differently this time was at the end. And I'm just this is a spoiler alert. Like, this is a significant event in the book. It's not the ultimate spoiler. Erin's <laughs> plugging but... her ears. <laughs> At the end of the book, when they're trying to figure out who is the true heir, who's going to get the big windfall, Sandy McSuthers dies, quote unquote, in front of Turtle Wexler, who is what at this time, 12? 13. 13. Like, imagine being a 13-year-old and seeing somebody who is like a grandfather figure to you. I think she has more wholesome interactions with Sandy McSuthers than she does with her own dad. Mm-hmm. And to like watch him die in front of her. Like, what kind of trauma is that? Like, and you don't, as a sixth grader, you don't think about that. But like as an adult. I don't really want to just sit there and watch my grandfather die sort of unexpectedly. And so when she's responding to this event and she, she goes to Flora Bombach, just absolutely. She's come apart and her saying, Baba, Baba, I don't want to play this anymore. I don't want to play the game anymore. Like, Got me right in my chest. Like and I cried a little bit. Even worse and a little bit darker. When Aaron, keep your ears plugged. When you find out that he's faking his death. Yes, like who right. would do that to a junior high student? <laughs> Let me put this 13-year-old through some unnecessary trauma because of this game I'm playing. And yet she still ends up being the like the closest person that he has at right. his actual death, which is weird and also heartwarming i think it shows the resilience of children and i think that's what you know all these dark undercurrents that you're sort of pulling out that the kids who are reading this book just have to accept at face value that's how life is it's not all puppies and rainbows and kids absorb a whole lot of things that you kind of think that they shouldn't or that you hoped that you hadn't exposed them to they're not stupid 
they know mm-hmm. the world is a weird, messed up, broken, wonderful place. And this book sort of acknowledges that. Yeah. I think Aaron can come back now. Yeah, Aaron, come on back. Okay. I know I put you on mute. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that surprised me about my reread of this, and I want to say I did not read it as a child or a young person. I did read it in my early to mid 20s when I was spending a lot of time, mid to late 20s, maybe spending a lot of time in the children's section of the library with my little kids, picking out, you know, like picture books for them and, you know, middle grade readers and YA books for me because I'm here anyway. But between about 10 years ago when I read it last and today, I completely forgot the ending. I was as shocked this time <laughs> well, as I was I last time. I have actually read this book before. I know. Oh, my oh. I, I have no recollection of any of it so far. I'm like, I feel like I've never read any of this. But my mom had us work through a whole lot of the Newberry catalog growing up. And so... I distinctly remember this book being one that I enjoyed, and I have zero recollection. That is, so I mean, funny. It was, maybe I just had a uniquely impactful experience with it. I'd be interested to see if anyone else in the group ha- has read it before and were shocked when they read it a second or even a third time. Yeah, and it's so unusual because it's a mystery. I mean, when I go mm-hmm. back through and reread, mm-hmm. like I love Agatha Christie. When I go reread Agatha Christie novels, about a third of the way in. To a book, even one that I read years ago, I'm like, oh, I remember how this ends. But the characters are so fun in the story and all of that, that I usually enjoy it just as much the next time through. But to start a mystery and get half and then two thirds and then three quarters of the way through and still not remember how it ends, that is a, that's a, I, I just think that's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I am going to add to this first question is just, this is our third young adult book what is it really ones? we've had the year down yonder and yeah. jacob i have loved oh that's oh, right, right. Oh, that's right. So oh this dang. is definitely our third and i think they've all been newberry haven't they i think so I think so uh yeah actually <laughs> like your mother i love the newberry shelf yeah <laughs> there is a practical reason for that and and i i laid that all out in the mm-hmm. in but the, i think reflecting it, it, this is easily the darkest of the three yeah, I don't know. Jacob have I loved went some really uh-huh. weird places for me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't think I wrote it in my response to this question, but Brie, I agree with you that there were so many backstories of people because of all the like really in depth fifteen hour novels I've been reading lately. There were so many of the family backstories that I wanted to know and I wanted to be fleshed out. But if you flesh like you can't flesh those out in a YA novel because it's obviously going to be kind of disturbing stuff i want to send all of them to therapy like i just (laughs) yeah (laughs) sun towers like yes there's so much more i want to know like i need there there needs to be like a a, an 18 and up novel that just like tells you all the backstory they're all in therapy i'm writing it fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) oh too fun all right we should probably move on Sarah, you had the next pick, I think. What question are yes. we talking about? I have question number two, and it's it's long, so I'm going to summarize. The book houses an enormous amount of diversity in one apartment building. There's this cross-section of humanity in these this small group of characters. And at the beginning of the book, the Sunset Towers 
where they all live is the only thing that brings them together. And there's a lot of suspicion and misunderstanding and even some enmity. Um, and by the end, though, the Westing game has made them into one big family. So how does a crazy murder mystery puzzle and the clever, eccentric, generous soul at the center of it knit these disparate people together into a vibrant community throughout the course of the book? And thinking more theologically, which was a fun part of this question, <laughs> how does Sunset Towers remind us of the church where people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages are likewise brought together by one who, kind of like Sandy McSuthers, had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So I, I thought it was interesting thinking about all of the different people that come together. And I like sociology, like thinking through people's reasonings and how they interact with each other and the differences between the beginning of the book and how people we're treating each other at the beginning versus how they were treating each other at the end is almost a 180 shift for a lot of them. And they've found all these new relationships out of things, uh, relationships that you never would have put together at the beginning of the book had it not been for this game that paired people off in very unlikely pairs like when he was pairing people off i was like why are you putting those people together that makes no sense i was mad at <laughs> i was mad at him for pairing people off in the way that he paired him off because it didn't make any sense i was like how are they gonna get along but they do in these like crazy ways and you have these these bonds come out of it that are literally oh yeah it's like th these crazy friendships that come out of it like turtle and flora Baumbach. like they're they're inseparable who who would have thought that at the beginning of the book that Turtle would have would have had formed this bond with this other with this other woman? It does make me sad though that her relationship with her mom is nowhere close to that, and there's no resolution <laughs> to that relationship, which makes me kind of uncomfortable that we just like don't. But that's a whole but different again, thing with that's Grace life. Too. That's yeah. life. I mean, we want to think that every dysfunctional mother-daughter relationship sees some resolution and some a, a place of peace and love and harmony. But no, sometimes you just carry those wounds into adulthood and you don't hate your mother, but you're never going to be close. Yeah. Because um, Grace changes during the, the process of the book, but that part of their relationship is never resolved. Like it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I also find it, I don't know if this is a spoiler, Aaron, if you no, found out about it. Okay. So Seidel, 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 uh, not Sybil, <laughs> not Sybil. She's, she's is the mistake in this book. And yet she finds a way to fit in anyway. And someone in the, in the comments was like, was she actually a mistake or was she not actually a mistake? And mm. okay, this is going to be a spoiler. I'm sorry. Because Sam Westing is there the whole time. He would have known at some point that she wasn't supposed to be there. And yet the game plays out. Good point. Anyway, and he bring he keeps her. Ooh, I'm hitting stuff. He keeps her in the family of right. these players, even though she's not supposed to be there. And he more than likely knows that because he's there the whole time. Well, like that was a mind-blowing thing for me to realize. He was that, also Barney Northrup, who right. was the estate agent who <laughs> Right. <laughs> so he could have definitely rescinded the invitation immediately. Exactly. And yet he saw something in this woman that she belonged to this group. Um, right. Yeah. Okay, Aaron, you can come back. And it's uh, what I thought was interesting about that, thinking about it theologically, is that a lot of times, you know, in the body of Christ, 
we may have these people that are around us where we're like, I don't know if you really belong here. And maybe, maybe you don't quite fit in or you aren't part of this Lutheran bingo that we like to play with each other. And you don't actually have any points in this Lutheran bingo game. And yet we're all part of the body of Christ. Christ died for everybody. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's, there's that parallel that we all, we all do actually belong, even if we don't feel like it or if other people don't think that we do. Yeah. And I think that, that the geography is important. Mm, that we yeah. are we are brought together by Christ and brought to inhabit the same physical space but also the same spiritual emotional space that that and sometimes that creates some sort of uneasy relationships at least for a time but it gives us the opportunity to develop empathy to get to know other people see other sides of the story and when the church is doing what the church does <laughs> It's building community between people that, you know, to the outside world, you look in and go, really? That those people have stuff in common? Yes, we do. We have Jesus in common. And mm -hmm. that's the important thing. And that's, that's what, what binds us together and all the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. Yep. You said bond. Bond is before. I thought you said bombs. <laughs> right. <laughs> this book has bombs. bombs. Made. <laughs> bombs. Like, literally. <laughs> Sorry. I wanted to also point out Karen Averett's answer to this question, too. In light of this question, I can't help thinking that God sets the lonely in families. A tender oh. example is Turtle and Flora Baumbach finding love and comfort in each other. Each player was strengthened by his or her respective partner, and each person was a catalyst for someone else's transformation. So there's that, that other side of these relationships that, yes, everyone grew, but for most of those, most of the 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 players, they grew because of the other person and the relationship with the other person, even though they were completely opposite people in most of the situations. It was specifically that person and that person's characteristics that caused this growth in the yeah. other person. Um, my, one of my favorite of these parents, pairings is with uh, D. Denton Deer, yes. the stuck-up plastic surgery intern. Oh, I hate, did not like him. Did not like him. But because of his relationship with Chris Theodrakis, who it you know is wheelchair bound with a neurological disability. He's my favorite character. He got over himself <laughs> yeah. and became, you know, just a, a much more selfless individual, formed a friendship with this with this young man, helped him, you know, get enrolled in a, a treatment that really helped helped him you know move past the worst aspects of his disability and did, left plastic surgery for neurology after this so you've got mm -hmm. this really life transforming relationship in both of them you know at the end chris can talk and mm -hmm. denton has a heart so it's it's great to see these relationships blossom this way yeah. unlikely animal friends but right for <laughs> the best I was just watching a video of a fox and a puppy earlier today, and it made me want to cry. Fox and a hound. Who knew? I love. I love, I love that love too, it. though. Sorry, that was off topic. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have. Aaron, I know you're not all the way in, but do you have I'm a question not. you'd so... like to discuss with the group? And hopefully, we won't spoil it for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one that I was like, I feel like. I could most respond to was the one about, okay, hang on a second. Where is it? 
Oh yeah, number five, where everyone in this book has secrets, and mm. then and then you were like, what does it do to a person to have a long festering secret secret dragged out into the open? What happens when a person finds courage to confess their secret shame? So I was thinking about the fact that I had to open this with confessing that I have not completed this. <laughs> but, um, Don't you feel better now? <laughs> I do. And it is. It's one of those truths. And we see it so much. I don't know. It's one of those things that, that the church gets so right when it includes like the why confession and absolution is so important and so yep. intrinsic to how we how we live out our faith. But I've had that before where, you know, maybe it's not necessarily a, a secret that I've done wrong or something, but there's like this, whatever it is, there's like, there's something that's weighing on me. And I feel like I'm like afraid that if I talk about it, that it might be true or, and so, so I don't want to talk about it. But when I've then actually taken the step to actually like have that conversation with someone and be like, Hey, I'm feeling this. I'm just feeling it and give them a chance to actually respond to it. It is incredibly freeing, whatever the results of that conversation. And so uh, the idea of having those secrets come out so often we're so defensive of those and and protective of them when they're actually just, like you said, festering away. And it would be so much healthier <laughs> to actually actually let them out. But at my point of the reading of the book, nobody has shared their secrets yet. <laughs> so I can't do much more than speculate about how that will actually play but out in this context. Thank you for sharing your secret shame with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, the character who I think got the most, I mean, obviously everyone's secrets are coming out left and right. I, I loved the moment, and I mentioned this in the question, where Sonny Who has been stealing people's valuables to save up to try and get a, a ticket, a one-way ticket back to her homeland of China. And when she confesses this, she's so terrified that they're all going to reject her. But they don't. They're just like, okay. Well, Thank you for giving us our, our stuff back. <laughs> and they, they, you know, that sort of is an opening for her to become more truly part of the community. But the other person who gets gains the most from revealing her secrets, and it's not a dark, dirty secret, is J.J. Ford, mm -hmm. who has carried around this weight of resentment towards Sam Westing, who on the surface, you look at that and go, well, he paid for your college. How is that? a reason for you to resent him for the rest of his his and your lives. And the fact that the Westing game pairs her with a person to <laughs> with whom she can she can confess this deep lingering resentment allows them both to move forward into a place of peace and I think that she comes away from the whole thing liberated in a very powerful way. And I, I was thinking of, of this as I asked the question and I asked, I asked, maybe I, I got a little too personal here asking people, have you ever had a secret like that? And as I asked the question, I thought, yes, yes, I have had a secret like that. Nothing illegal or immoral, but a secret resentment that I was allowing to fester and revealing it to a trusted friend, my husband and God, 
you know, <laughs> not quite in that order, but you know, it, it allowed me to really, really live life more freely, more at peace, in better harmony with the people around me. And that this is a very, very vital, vital thing. So if you have a festering secret, get it open. Let it, let someone drag it out of you or something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't carry that burden. It really is quite freeing, even if it's only one person that you tell. I mean, it goes a long way to just taking that burden off that you you don't have to carry your burden alone which no is and i love i love that we as a as a church as as the lutheran church have kept a space carved out in all of our services as you say aaron for confession yes. and absolution that and there have been times in our history where people have said well isn't this sort of you know dark and gloomy and not particularly helpful, you know, am I really a poor, miserable sinner? And if I am, do I really have to say it every single Sunday? Yup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> because it remains the truth. And by confessing that truth about yourself, you know, it frees you to receive the forgiveness that is and only found in Christ. You're bound together with the church, not necessarily by that, but the fact that we are someone for whom Christ died. Mm -hmm. To use to use a phrase a turn of phrase that I hear almost weekly, like it's it's that we we are more than poor miserable sinners, but we confess that in the midst of each other, and that is that is something that that binds us. Maybe not again, not the sinfulness necessarily. I mean that's it's not a good thing to be bound well, by. Well, that's a that's it, a heritage that we share with all of humanity. Yeah. Yep. But God is faithful. If we can confess our sins, He forgives them, and that's mm -hmm. the greater thing that binds us. Right. Yep. Right. Well, gang, I think we've proven our own point that this book was deceptively uh, <laughs> shallow, deep, whatever. It. I thought it was shallow. It wasn't shallow. It was deep. <laughs> might have a, a fluffy veneer on the outside cute kids mystery but uh underneath there's hard bedrock that you can <laughs> you can have some good conversations about so thank you all for thank the three of you for reading with me but also everyone out there in listener land and especially to those who participated in our online book club discussions wow you ladies blow me away every time with your insights like I see new and cool things in every book we read together. So speaking of books we read together, let's talk about our next book we read together, shall we? Yay! I love this part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was thinking I wanted to do something new and different. And then I thought, no, I don't. I don't want to do something new and different. <laughs> I was looking back over the list of books that we've chosen from over the last uh, year and a little bit here. And I realized that I'm still a little bitter, speaking about <laughs> festering secrets, still a little bitter about some of the books that we chose not to read. Not it, girl. Okay. So we're going to call this, this uh, book club pick Rachel's Regrets. I love it. <laughs> love it. Yes. And even though I wanted to grab every single book out of our out of our long lists from the past and shove them all in front of your faces again, <laughs> I do have some restraints. So I went through and I picked the four books 
that I most regret not having read the first time around. Now, that's not to say I regret reading any of the books we did read because they've all been fantastic. But mm -hmm. these are some runners up that I wanted to give a second chance to read. And there's a mix of genres here. We've got one adult novel, one YA novel, one memoir, and one nonfiction. Oh boy. Okay. So this is this is a total grab bag here, but these are all books that oh, I yeah. think deserve another shot in the book club. So the first one is, and this one will probably, fair warning, keep showing up again and again until we finally <laughs> read it together. Because <laughs> see, I have a little little uh, love and admiration for one uh, Mr. C.S. Lewis. <gasps> More uh, like an agenda. I'm just kidding. Fun, yes, fun fact, I wrote my master's thesis on the Chronicles of Narnia. So, <gasps> Did you really? I did. That is amazing. You can write your master's thesis on anything you want, pretty much, <laughs> as long as you can get it approved by your, by your panel. But this one is not a Narnia book. This is one of the novels for adults he wrote called Till We Have Faces, A Myth Retold. And in this book, he brilliantly reimagines the story of Cupid and Psyche from Greek mythology. So this is a sister book told mm -hmm. from the viewpoint of Psyche's sister, Oriol. It's a, an examination of envy, betrayal, loss, blame, grief, guilt, and conversion. Sort of a Jacob Have I Love thing going on here mm -hmm. where you've got the older, uglier sister. But in this case, there's genuine love and affection. I, I haven't read this book in years and years. And I feel like the one time I did read it, I didn't get everything out of it that I wanted to, that I think I'd be much better able to enjoy it now that I'm older and wiser. And so I would welcome the opportunity to reread this with Lutheran ladies. Okay, so that's option one. Till we have faces. C.S. Lewis. Oh, boy. Option two is one that is going to be very relevant to me in a couple of weeks because my children have decided for me that I will be giving up caffeine for Lent, oh, no. which is a thing I have not done in close to 20 years. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm a little, little nervous. But it. you know, when someone says to you, you should give up such and so for Lent. And your first thought is, oh, no, not that anything but that. Maybe that thing is too important in your life and you should actually <laughs> take this suggestion seriously. So with that prologue in place, this book that I'm suggesting is called Caffeinated, How Our Daily Habit Helps, Hurts, and Hooks Us. It's by Murray Carpenter. It's a nonfiction read. And <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that <laughs> or I'm going to love it. I don't know. Well, as I drink my coffee. <laughs> if, you've, if you've ever wondered whether coffee is healthy for you, whether the health benefits I, outweigh I the... Know. Sarah's like, nope, never <laughs> okay, once. Spoilers. He never comes out and says, don't drink coffee. It's bad for you. Okay, good. I can read it then. <laughs> he tells you about... It, it's really, it's really fascinating. I have read this one, not in a couple of years. That it's it's fascinating look at the history, the culture, the medicine. I mean, it's a it's a multi angled view on caffeine and its place in our world, looking again at both history and science and anthropology, and it's great. It, it's a little bit more, a little bit longer than some of the books we've read, but not that. I don't think it's too long. 
And it's so worth it because you, this is, this, this book is guaranteed to make you a know-it-all at coffee hour. Ooh. You'd be like, yes. did you know that blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I love that. everyone go, ooh, I did not know that. Okay. So that's number two. Number one, till we have faces. Number two, caffeinated. Number three, here's our YA novel. This one is by Laura Amy Schlitz. It's called The Hired Girl. It is by a Newbery medalist. The The author has won a Newbery, but this one did not. Okay. It did win the Scott O'Dell Award for Historical Fiction, which is also very prestigious. And this is about a 14-year-old country girl. This is around the turn of the century, around 1911. She gets tired of living at home with her abusive father and brothers and runs away to the city, lies about her age and gets a job as a servant, a domestic servant with a Jewish family. And she's a, you know, she's a Catholic, but she's working with a, in a Jewish family. And it's just a really interesting novel about encounter, about empathy, about learning who you are and respecting who other people are. A lot of questions and discussions, some of them not particularly comfortable, but you really get to know and appreciate the experience of this very well-developed character. Joan is her name. And then finally, this is the only book on the list that I haven't read yet. So I hope if we choose it, it doesn't turn out to be awful, but it looks really good. <laughs> this was one of our reader suggested memoirs back last Ooh. summer. You remember those? Yeah. That was so much fun. All, all of fun. the Lutheran ladies threw their suggestions for memoirs in a pot and we chose a few and selected one, we ended up doing Edie Wadsworth's book, and that was fantastic. Yes. But this was on the short list for that pick. And I always was curious, and I may have to just buy it and read it, whether or not we read it together. It's Kate Bowler's memoir, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, about what happens when you think your life is perfect and that this is a sign that God is blessing you and that you're on the right track. And then suddenly you find out you have cancer. And does that mean that God's not blessing you That'll and that you, mm. <laughs> you're not mm -hmm. on the right track? Yeah. And, and it really sort of takes apart the idol of the prosperity gospel through uh, one woman's experience, sort of having this crisis of faith precipitated by a personal tragedy in her own body. And I, I think that this book is one Again, I haven't read it, so hopefully it's not awful. But it's one that after a year of pandemic, where a lot of people have lost a lot of stuff and a lot of loved ones close to them have encountered health challenges that may have shaken their faith as well as their physical well-being, that a book like this that says, hey, just so you're aware, suffering doesn't mean God doesn't love you, is a, is a helpful reminder in this time that God uses suffering. So those are our four choices. Till we have faces, caffeinated, the hired girl, and everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. So I throw this out to you. Which of Rachel's regrets are we going to go back, revisit, and give the full book club treatment to? This is so hard. Are we gonna I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with C.S. Lewis. Same. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 
that would be fine. I I have read that book before, and like Rachel, I would be I would be interested to see what my take on it was at this point. You don't want a twelve Angry Men this? <laughs> no. We can have an entire episode, you know, sequel to this episode where we just argue yeah. about books for an hour. I mean, yeah. people would yeah. love that content. Because, um, like, the hired girl. That's fun, but we have just done a YA, you we know, have. A YA book, mm-hmm. so so having a little variety there is is appealing. The uh, everything happens for a reason and other lies book also sounds really interesting. So that would be my that would be my other choice. But yeah, I I would be happy to read till we have faces and see what I get out of it this time. And then it won't show up again on another list. That's true. That's that's. I did sort of hold a gun to all of your heads. I've been meaning to read more C.S. Lewis, so that's partially okay. My own fair warning, and it's it's been years since I've read this. If you're looking for Narnia, this ain't it. No. If you're looking for the space trilogy, this ain't it. I haven't read that. Oh, you should. It's so good. I know. I I've been meaning to read more C.S. Lewis. Putting it on a future list. If you're looking for Pilgrim's Regress, and I, if you are, kudos to you, because that is a weird book. Uh, this ain't <laughs> it either. This is its own thing. He sort of went out on a limb with something entirely different for him. And apparently people call it his most mature novel. Oh. So whatever that means, <laughs> I can't wait to read it with all of you. I think this one is going to be a blast. So... If you listen to this book, which I did the first time, and I will probably do again since I already own it, I recall that it took me a little bit to get into it. So stick with it. If you're, if at the beginning you're like, where is this going? Stick into it. The story will, will kick into gear and you will, like, yeah, the characters will start clicking. And so stick with it. That was just my own, my own experience with it. Uh, I remember finishing it. And liking it, I I believe I tried reading it previously and abandoned it. And then I went back and tried it again and it worked. So stick with it and finish it before the book club discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Because there will be plenty to engage with in this book as I, if if I'm remembering it correctly. uh, Yeah. I just yeah. can't wait. I think it oh, will be a so good excited. discussion. Oh, thank Yay. you guys. It's always so much fun. So our next book is Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. It is available in actual book form or Kindle or audiobook, however you'd like to read it. And we are looking forward to our discussion on that. As always, you can find our Lutheran Ladies Lounge book club in our Facebook group. It will be available as an event in April, we will have the discussion questions there, and it's super easy to join. Uh, I think we've actually finally found a way to do book club that actually works for most people. It'll be an event. All you have to do is RSVP, yes, that you're going, and then you'll get access to all of those questions as we do the book club, and then you'll get to listen to our next wrap-up episode, which is going to be great. You can join our group on Facebook to find all of our other discussion and our podcast episodes and a ginormous community of Lutheran women. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Turtle Wexler's kicking foot. (laughs) 
And I'm Turtle Wexler's braid. <laughs> <laughs>